Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. There are a lot of ways that we can categorize the different groups of people that we know, that we come in contact with, that exist throughout the world. Um, But this morning, I want to point out two contrasting groups, planners and wing-iters. I don't know of another word that really fits that well, so we're just going to go with wing-iters this morning. The wing-iters, for those of you that are wing-iters, you like spontaneity. On the other hand, those of you that are planners, you like a schedule. Um, now, no one is 100% all of one or the other, but one one of those is dominant in all of us. Uh, one of the things that I love about my wife, Lynn, is that she's a wing-it kind of gal. Um, she rarely plans her schedule unless you know there are specific things that she has to do. And so she just lets the schedule, she lets the day come to her. And uh, on the other hand, I'm... Typically a planner, especially uh, when I'm at work, I've got to have schedules and, you know, by day and by hour because I've got deadlines. The funny thing about, you know, my job is Sunday comes every seven days. So I've got, to, I've got these deadlines that I have to meet each week. Um, but the funny thing is, is when, when we go, when Lynn and I go on vacation, we flip. And she becomes the one that wants to plan, and I want to be the wing her. You see, for me, I have done so much planning at work that when I go on vacation, I don't want to plan more. I want to just wing the vacation. We went to Hawaii a few years back, and, and uh, it was a cruise where you cruise to the different islands. And you know what? Every day she wanted to get up first thing in the morning and go start doing stuff. And I just wanted to sleep in, and, you know, she looked at me and she said, we didn't come to Hawaii for you to sleep in. <laughs> Which actually, I mean, it does make good sense. So we did. We got up, and, and we went and did all the stuff. But, you know, I mean, since I'm a planner at work, when I go on vacation, I just want to wing it. And since she spends so much time winging it, when she goes on vacation, she wants to plan. So needless to say, we have some interesting vacations sometimes. But when she gets her way, which, by the way is the overwhelming majority of the time. When she gets her way, when we get back from vacation, I need a vacation. Because we've done so much, because we've planned. We're, we're right in the middle. I mean, if, and if you're a guest, you're kind of noticing that our, our auditorium kind of looks in a shambles. We're right in the middle of a remodel. Um, and so there's a lot of planning that goes on into what we're doing. And, and, and here's why. We have a deadline. Um, the, the new seating is coming the last week of August, or that's what they've told me. And it will be installed as soon as it gets here. That means we have to have the new flooring installed before the new seating gets here. You don't want to put new flooring in and then paint, so we have to do the painting before the new flooring gets installed. But we can't do the painting until we get all the tape and bed work done, which hopefully is going to begin tomorrow. Um, 
So, so anyway, I've, I created a spreadsheet. And, and it's not really important if you can see all the details, but, but these are all the things that have to be done. You see the ones that are kind of the, the reddish pink here on the left. Those are the things that are critical. We really got to get these things done. And the yellow means we've gotten those done. Now, this was from a week ago. And, and the red on top, that's the, the week that's passed. And you're looking at one in July that that's, that's red. That, well, that's the week that Larry's on vacation. So we're not going to get much done during that week. So, Anyway, so I've created this spreadsheet because the, the truth is it wouldn't be very smart for us just to wing it when we know the end of the remodel is coming soon. Well, today is the fourth message in our series on end-time prophecy, and what we're discovering so far is the end is coming soon. We're living in the last days, the Bible has shown us. It's getting close to midnight on the last day of God working in and through the church. And what that means is people in this world are running out of time to be saved. And that means we can't just be wing it witnesses. We've got a plan to tell people about Jesus because it isn't smart to wing it when the end is coming. Today's message, I told you last week, is a continuation of of last week's message. We studied last week Daniel's prophecy of the 77s, and today we're going to talk about the fig tree prophecy. And these two go together. They form the cornerstones of understanding rapture and tribulation questions. And so uh, I want to start just by revealing right up front, when we talk about the fig tree prophecy, why is it called the fig tree? It's because it, it has to do with Israel. And so at the very beginning of your notes, in the Bible, the fig tree is a symbol for Israel. So any time in the Scripture when you come across and you see something about a fig tree, you need to be thinking, what is this telling me about Israel? In Hosea chapter 9 and verse 10, the Bible says this, The Lord says, O Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. So anytime you see fig or fig tree in the Scripture, there's a link to Israel in some way. And Jesus makes that clear by the things that he says. We're going to see three of them this morning. Now, what I'm telling you isn't conjecture. Virtually every Bible scholar agrees that the fig tree is a symbol of Israel. Dr. W.A. Criswell was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas for over 50 years. He was the two-time president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he says this, the fig tree is understood as a symbol of Israel, revealing Israel's failure to bear fruit for God. Now, the chart behind me, it's actually a combination of the two charts that, that we've seen over the last few weeks. And so we've seen in, in the, the, the one on the top left that, that God is working on a, a seven-day calendar and he's going to work for six days and rest on the seventh. And And God worked in and through Israel for 4,000 years or four prophetic days. And then in the other chart, we also saw that God worked in and through Israel for 483 years or 69 sevens from the time that the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was given. Now, I'm throwing a bunch of stuff at you this kind of review. Let me just say this, by the way. Um, I I know that after after the first chart that I used a couple of weeks back, some of you were like, oh, I didn't get it all written down. And you can always go onto our webpage and rewatch all of these messages. And if you're like coming in only today, let me encourage you, go back. We started this 
at the at the first of the summer. We're, today is the fourth message, so you haven't missed much. But you can always go back and, and rewatch these things if you missed something that you want to that you want to make sure that you get established. So, God was working in and through Israel, but then He stopped when they rejected Jesus, and He began working in and through the church. And it was all because Israel stopped bearing fruit. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 43, Jesus is speaking. He says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He was speaking to Israel and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. And that nation is the church. So God was working in and through Israel. They rejected Jesus. And so he stopped. He began working through the church. And we're in the church age now. But that's going to come to an end soon, and God's going to finish his work with Israel. So this morning, the New Testament has three things to say about the fig tree. The first is this, the fig tree was fruitless. Let me just, let me just say this. I'm going to kind of give away the end without giving away the end. When we get to the end of today's message, what you're going to see is, is Jesus says, okay, you want to know when the rapture and tribulation are coming? Here's when it's coming. So that's the question that we want the answer to. We're going to find that this morning. We've got to cover about the fig tree first. So first, the fig tree was fruitless. Luke chapter 13, which I had asked you to turn, look with me beginning in verse 6. Then Jesus told this story. So we have a parable here. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. So a parable, of course, is a story that that represents a greater truth. And, and Jesus here isn't teaching about horticulture. Uh, he isn't a spokesman for home and garden TV or anything like that. Jesus is talking about Israel, and he's pointing out that Israel was not fulfilling her purpose. You see, a fig tree has one purpose, and that is to produce figs. It is to bear fruit. And and likewise, Israel had fruit to bear. They had a purpose to fulfill. You don't need to turn there, but in Romans chapter 3, in in verse 1, the question was asked, well, so what's the advantage of being a Jew? And and in verse 2, it says, yes, there are great benefits to being a Jew. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. See, Israel's purpose was to honor God's name and protect and preserve His Word. By the way, if you, if you have ever held a copy of the Scriptures in your hand, you need to say thank you to Israel because they were the ones that are responsible for you having the Scriptures to this day. So this parable of the fig tree shows us that since Israel was not bearing fruit, they weren't fulfilling their purpose, God's attitude towards them was, again, in this story, it was like the, the landowner saying, I'm tired of that tree not producing fruit, so just cut it down. But then verse 8, the gardener says, let me give it some special attention. Let me work with it one more year. Let, let, let me 
let me put some effort into it that maybe it hasn't been getting. So, that gardener represents Jesus. Jesus came to work personally with the soil of Israel. They got special attention. And in his three years of ministry, he fed them as fertilizer feeds the soil. But they still, they had been rejecting God, but now they rejected Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 11 says that he came to his own and his own received him not. They rejected him. So even after Christ's death and resurrection, Israel as a nation remained as spiritually fruitless as before Christ came. So one, the fig tree was fruitless. Two, the fig tree was cursed. Because they were fruitless, they were cursed. Go to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Here we have some verses of Scripture of Jesus just going about the business of his ministry. He had just... um, had what we call the triumphal entry. He had come into Jerusalem leading up to ultimately his crucifixion. And then they're just, this is just thrown in randomly right in the middle of him, of him coming into Jerusalem. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Kind of sounds like Jesus has a short fuse on this day. Maybe this is the first recorded instance of someone being hangry, maybe. He was like so hungry and there was no figs on the tree. And so he was like, boom, no one's ever going to eat from the fig tree ever again. Uh, See, the Bible said that it wasn't even the season for fruit. And yet, Jesus cursed the tree anyway. Look at verse 20. The next morning as they passed by the fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Again, we're not... Jesus is teaching us about vegetation. Jesus' cursing of the fig tree was meant to show us God's attitude towards Israel's hypocrisy. See, that's the whole point of these verses. Now, here's the thing. I've never planted a fig tree. I don't know if I've ever seen a fig tree. Maybe I have. But, you know, it's just not really something that we usually include in our garden. So I don't know that any of us have a whole lot of experience with fig trees. So... There are things that come natural to fig trees that we don't understand because we don't know much about them. Um, see, for us, when we when we plant a, a fruit tree, you know, we realize that it doesn't immediately produce fruit. But uh, it, when it is a fruit at fruit bearing age, it, it produces leaves. You know, when spring comes, it produces leaves, and then after the leaves, shortly after, the, then it will begin to produce fruit. And so we have in our mind, okay, well, this had leaves but no fruit. Well, it wasn't time yet, but here's, here's, we don't understand how a fig tree works. It doesn't work like the way we see trees work. The fig tree either produced leaves and fruit simultaneously, and often a fig tree produced fruit before it even produced leaves. 
this tree had full leaves, so it should have had fruit. And not only is this uh, a tree that has leaves, but it's, it's, uh, it's a special tree because it, it had its leaves before season even. So it had really good soil. It had really good conditions. It was properly cared for, but it had no fruit. You see, it had the look, but not the fruit. So Jesus cursed the tree. He cursed Israel for its hypocrisy and fruitlessness. In Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus is speaking specifically to the Pharisees, but the Pharisees are just representative of of the, the Jewish nation as a whole. In verse 7, he says this, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. Israel is the people of, of covenant. Now, God didn't choose Israel because they were a better nation than everybody else. God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, and that's who Israel was because Abraham was a man of faith. But they had priests. They had a temple. They had the appearance of religious things, but no substance. There was no fruit. They looked like they had something that they didn't have. And because of their fruitlessness and their hypocrisy, Jesus cursed the nation of Israel. And as a result, Israel lost its position of protection and blessing from God. Now, that curse began in 70 A.D. In 70 A.D., the Roman army came in and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, tore it down. One million Jews were killed. 97,000 Jews were sold into slavery. This is only about 40 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. And from that time until now, the Jews have been hated and hunted all over the world. We, we talk about the Holocaust during World War II where six million Jews were slaughtered. But far more than that had been killed worldwide in the preceding 2,000 years. And since 70 A.D., when that curse came into effect, Israel has been a withered, lifeless, fruitless vine. But remember, God isn't finished working with Israel yet. And that brings me to the third thing, which is this. The fig tree will be restored. The fig tree will be restored. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 is a key chapter in the Bible when it comes to understanding end-time prophecy. I, I would encourage you that you, you may not think about it right now or when you, when you get home, uh, but in the book of Revelation in your Bible, you need to write up there somewhere, see Matthew 24, because they hold hands together. Um, Tim LaHaye, who was the author of the Left Behind series of books, says this about this chapter. He says, it's the most important single passage of prophecy in all the Bible. One of the things that we need to understand is that Matthew's gospel was written to a Jewish audience. And chapter 24 is written specifically with this Jewish audience in mind. And so in Matthew chapter 24... 
Jewish people, the disciples, asked Jesus, what's going to signal the end? What, how can we know that the end of time is coming? And, in, and there, there's a lot in here. We're not going to read it all. I encourage you to do that later. And we will look at it more in detail in a later week. But look at verse 20. In the middle of all the stuff that he's talking about, he says this, and pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. He's talking about running during the tribulation to, to run for safety. He says, pray that you're not having to do that on the Sabbath. Does the, biblically speaking, does the Sabbath apply to you? See, the answer is no, it does not. Um, the, the Sabbath is a covenant that God made, not between him and the church, but a covenant that he made between him and Israel. Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. Listen to this. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day For the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you. Who? Israel. From generation to generation is an everlasting covenant between God and Israel. And this chapter is written to Jews about what will happen to Jews during the end time. Tim LaHaye I mentioned him a minute ago, the author of the Left Behind series. He he said it's the most important single passage of prophecy in all the Bible. And then he said it provides the master outline of end-time events. Now, I'm not going to say this slowly enough for you to write it all down, all right, just just so you'll know. So you may, if you want to get this, you're going to probably have to go back and watch it again. But in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 8 describe the events that lead up to the end times. Then verses 9 through 20 talk about the first half of the tribulation period. Then verses 21 through 28, see, I'm just bearing out to you what Tim LaHaye said. It's the outline for the end time events. Verses 21 through 28 talk about the last half of the tribulation period. Verses 29 through 31 talk about what happens after the tribulation period. And that brings us then to verse 32. So they've asked Jesus, what are the signs that we should be looking for to know that the end is coming. And so in, in Matthew chapter 24, it, it, he, he gives all of these things, and he, he gives the outline and the description. And then in verse 32 through 34, what he's saying is, now that I've explained what will happen to the Jews in the tribulation, look at verse 32. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. So I'm going to stop again, just we'll make sure that we're tracking together. Matthew 24, written to Israel about what's going to happen to Jews during the tribulation. It describes the events leading up to the tribulation. It describes the events of the first half of the tribulation. It describes the events of the second half of the tribulation. It describes the events of what happens after the tribulation. And when all of that's done, Jesus says, now I want you to learn a lesson from the fig tree. Let's read on. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that his Christ's return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene 
until all these things take place. So here, Jesus shows that the fig tree Israel is going to be restored just as the prophet Amos mentioned. I'll read it very quickly. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. In that day I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls from the ruins. I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. Verse 14. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them in their own land and they will never again be uprooted from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So learn this lesson of the fig tree. This fig tree, Israel, is going to be restored. They're going to be replanted back on their land. And when that happens, you know the end is going to be near. When did that happen? Or when will it happen? Well, it has already happened. It happened on May the 14th, 1948, when Israel became again an independent nation on its land. What was it that Jesus said in Matthew 24 about the, the fig tree being restored? Look at verse 34. He said, I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. What he's saying is, is when Israel is restored as a nation, which happened in 1948, that generation will not pass away until all of these things. All of what things? All the stuff of Matthew 24. The events leading up to the rapture the first half of the tribulation, second half of the tribulation, and the events after the tribulation. So, what knowledge does that provide for us? What answers do we get from this? Well, when Israel is restored, the rapture and tribulation are near. The Bible says that from the time frame that Israel restored, which was 1948, the time frame that's left... For the rapture and tribulation to be fulfilled is one generation. So, all right, we're getting answers now, right? Because we want to know when the rapture and tribulation are going to occur. And Jesus gives us the answer right here. One generation won't pass, he says. So how long is a generation? I can give you four options as to how long a gener generation is or, or what a generation is. Um Numbers chapter 32, verse 13 says that a generation is 40 years. So if you add 40 years to 1948, you come to 1988, you've got to subtract the seven years for the, for the uh, tribulation. So that means the rapture would have occurred in 1981. Relax, we're all good. <laughs> Didn't happen, okay? So it, it wasn't 40 years. Psalm 90 verse 10 says that a generation can also be 70 years. If you take 1948 plus 70, you get 2018. Some of you are like, uh. And we've got to back up seven years for the tribulations, which means the rapture would have happened in 2011. Again, breathe easy. It didn't happen. Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 says that a generation could be 120 years, which would take us to... 
2068 minus 7, which is 2061. But here's what I want you to get. First of all, I don't know. if the, I mean, that's the last number that we're given, okay, as far as the length of, in Scripture, the length of a generation. So, you know, you might be thinking, okay, well, so 2061, I got 40-something years, so I don't have to worry about it. But let's just say if that is it, just remember, it says that generation won't pass. Um, it just means that it could happen. If, if that's what it is, it could happen any day. That's three, and I told you I was going to give you four options. But only three of the options are time frames. The, the word, when he says that this generation won't pass, it, it's the, it comes from the root, the Greek root word genea. It's a genea generation. Uh, sometimes it refers to a time period, but there's also an English word that we get from that root word, which is genealogy. So it could be a period of time, or it could be a people or a nation. There is another place in the New Testament where Genea is translated nation. And if it's this fourth option, then Jesus isn't giving us a time hint, which, which by the way, I don't think we need any more time hints. Right? Uh, if we go back to God's calendar of redemption, we're already at somewhere close to midnight on the sixth day. We don't need any more time hints. But Jesus wouldn't be giving us a time hint. What he's telling Israel is, is your nation is not going to pass away. The world has, has hated you and the world has hunted you down. And you're surrounded on every side by enemy nations that would love to wipe you out. But Israel, you're going to remain. You are my people and I've got a work to finish in you and through you. And so listen, Israel, when I restore you, you're going to make it no matter what the rest of the world tries to do to you. You know what? Always as a Christian, anytime you hear Israel on the news, you ought to pay attention. Um, and just know that everything, when it comes to end-time prophecy, it revolves around what's happening in the nation of Israel. So, so what do we conclude to this point? God has a calendar of events. We are in the sixth of seven days, the fifth and sixth days of the church age, and when that's over, the rapture takes place. And then the 70th seven from Daniel's prophecy uh, begins for God to confirm his covenant with Israel. The last major sign, which is the restoration of Israel, has happened. And so here's what we, here's what we conclude. There's nothing left to happen. There is no other sign that has to be fulfilled. Everything that the Bible says has to happen for, for the stage to be set for Christ's return has all happened. So we have to understand it could happen any day. As a result, we should live today as if we expect Christ to return tonight. And that means telling people about Jesus. See, in, in this remodel, the chairs are coming soon. And the closer it gets, the more diligent we have to be in preparation 
and in life, Jesus is coming soon. And we can't wing our lives. We must be purposeful. We must be fruitful. And we must tell people about Jesus. I know that when we talk about telling people about Jesus and being a witness, uh, and a lot of times we get like a little panicky about, you know, well, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to offend anybody or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I doubt very seriously that there's anyone in the room this morning that has committed your life to Jesus Christ that you regret it. And I doubt that that's the case. But if you were unsaved and all of your friends and family shared Jesus like you do, what kind of chance would you have? We. Not, not a church location, not a building. We. The, the, the people of God. We. Are the light of the world. clock is about to strike midnight. Everything has been done. There's nothing else that has to be done before Christ comes. You know, the only thing that's keeping Christ from coming is he says, I'm just being patient. Because I don't want anyone to be condemned, but all to come to repentance. And in order for them to be able to come to repentance, we must be willing to tell people about Jesus. And live today as if we believe Christ is coming tonight. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? If Christ comes tonight, are you ready? Are you ready? Is there is there any hesitation? Is there any thought in your mind of I, I hope I'm ready. I mean I I'm coming to church and stuff and there's that time that I that I went forward and you know that's all man that's all well and good Here, but that's not what I'm asking I want to know have you committed your life to Jesus Christ because that's the only thing that matters when Christ returns are you certain that you know Christ as your Savior. God made it clear that there are going to be many that say to Him, Lord, didn't we, didn't we go to church? Didn't we do all these things for You? And He says, 
Depart from me, I never knew you. You see, and as much as people struggle with this, God sees your works, but God doesn't know you by your works. God knows you by your relationship. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If there's anyone here today and you're not certain of your relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to give you the opportunity this morning to commit your life to Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that we can know that we have eternal life by confessing that we are sinners and that Jesus is our only hope because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. So I want to give you the opportunity right now to call out to Jesus. You know what? Jesus may not come tonight. He may not come tomorrow. He may not come for two years or ten years or thirty. I don't know. I do know this. There's nothing left to be fulfilled. So he could come at any time. If you need to be saved this morning, why don't you just pray Call out to God something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that if you returned tonight, I would be condemned to hell. And so I want to confess my sin to you this morning. And admit my need for you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And so I want to receive forgiveness today. By what you did for me on the cross. And God help me to live for you. From this day. Until you return. If you meant business with God this morning, you prayed for him to forgive you of your sin and to save you. He did. And now we need to live, all of us, we need to live holy lives and pure lives and lives as a witness and a light to a world that needs Jesus. And I challenge you to do that. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for everyone here this morning, Lord. Help us to represent you well. Help us to to tell those that we know about Jesus. Help us to look for opportunities to share Christ with others. We have to be diligent and purposeful and plan out how we're going to each day be a witness and a light for you. Father, I pray that you would use each of us to bring a lost soul into your kingdom. Help us not to rely on others. God, you bring people into our path for that very reason. So help us to use that time wisely. Lord, thank you for any that came today not certain of their relationship with Jesus, but who committed their life to him today. And God, I pray that they would have a desire now to honor you in the way they live. And ask all this in Jesus' name.